We'd like to welcome you to, of course, to Northwest Church if this is your first time here. Uh, again, this is not, not something we normally do. You're probably wondering why I'm actually dressed this way, and there's a reason for it. There's absolutely a reason for me uh, dressing this way today, and hopefully you'll, you'll get this by the end of uh, today's teaching. How many of you did not expect the pastor to be actually dressed as a homeless person when you came in? You didn't. How many of you looked at me and went, who is this guy as soon as you walked in? How many of you didn't even see me? Okay, there's a lot, a lot of us who didn't actually see me as well. Because one of the things I did was I had Pastor Mark sit by me as well uh, when I was sitting there at the front door just so that I didn't have anyone else come over and then go, what's going on? Oh, it's Pastor Pete. Everybody, it's Pastor Pete. Um, because it, that would have blown the whole thing of what I'm trying to do. Today we are celebrating uh, this whole weekend of the birth of Christ, aren't we? We're celebrating that this is the time of year when we get together as a family and we, we, we celebrate the joy of Jesus Christ. But many of us actually in the world only celebrate maybe a holiday, which is really just about a Christmas kind of festivity. So it's more about the food, it's more about the presence, it's more about getting together. But those who are Christians celebrate Christ at Christmas, not just Christmas itself. And so what I wanna do is I want to read the Christmas story and I want to talk about what I call the innkeeper's decision because there's one person when I was reading this story that really stood out to me was the innkeeper. And I started asking questions about who he was, how, what he was thinking, what he was doing. How is it that Jesus ended up in a manger? Because there were several people who were on the path to, the, to, to, to Mary and Joseph getting to Bethlehem and Jesus ending up in a manger. And when I was reading this, I started to, to, I started to ask these questions and started to really get, come up with different answers in my brain of how is it that the innkeeper found himself in this position where he had to make a decision that ended up with God in a manger. So let's read uh, from Luke chapter two, and we're gonna be reading from one to seven. Luke chapter two, reading from one to seven. And it says this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took, the, took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. So everybody had to go. And of course, the Roman Empire covered a very vast area of the earth. And, and, and at least we know in Israel or in, in this part of the world, in the Middle East, they had to go, and, uh, had to go back to their, their birthplace and register themselves so that everyone could be registered on a master list with the uh, Romans. It continues on. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, most of us are very familiar with this story. We're very familiar that this is usually only read 
or studied at Christmas time, right? It's not usually a, a, a scripture or a verse that we will necessarily study throughout the year in our maybe our morning time, but it's definitely a, a scripture that we keep special for Christmas time. But as I was reading this, I want to look at, I want to look at four different uh, parts of the context of what we're reading here. And uh, the first thing I want to look at is about the innkeeper. The innkeeper, if, you, if you've ever watched a Christmas play, you always have Mary and Joseph and they're going along and Mary's pregnant and then they knock on the first door and someone comes to the door and they say, there's no room at the inn. Has anyone been to a Christmas play like that? And we always have the kids play it, right? Has anyone played the innkeeper? Who was the innkeeper? Anyone? Anyone identify themselves? Okay, and he always opens up the door and he says, there's no room at the inn. There's actually no mention of an innkeeper at all. But we can assume that someone was in charge of this abode. Someone was in charge of this physical place. But we have no record that there was an innkeeper. The second thing I, we see in this was that there was a census. And this census wasn't something that, that, they, that they got to choose to do. It was a census of something that they had to do. They had to go register themselves. What's fascinating about this is that Joseph went back to his original town, which was called Bethlehem, right? So he moved up from Nazareth, went all the way up to Bethlehem, and went to where all the rest of his family actually had to go register too. And when you think about it, if you know the story later on, it says that when the wise men told Herod that the Messiah was gonna be born in Bethlehem, Herod was incensed and he wanted to get rid of this baby king. So what did he do? He wiped out everybody in that region of any, any, any child that was two years old or younger and it was male, he killed them all. So pretty much we know this. During that time, because the census had collected all of Jesus' relatives into one place in Bethlehem, we can presume this, that all of his male cousins were slaughtered when he was a child. How crazy is that, that when someone like the Christ comes into the family, when God manifests himself in our family, it affects the whole family. You see, you can't give your life to Christ and think that you're not going to affect the rest of the family, that somehow they're not going to be affected by the decision that you've made. This was all based on a decision of the census. The third thing that happened in this story is that there was a manger, and we, we even read the word manger in this, and of course, uh, most stories, you'll, you know, most uh, depictions or, or uh, Christmas cards, you'll see a depiction of a cave, or you'll see a depiction of a stable with a manger in it, and that's where baby Jesus was, uh, uh, eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus in the, in the manger right there, and that's, that's the picture we have, but there is no evidence that there was a stable. There was no evidence that it was actually a cave either. But what we do know was that there was actually animals there. Why? Because we have a manger. Now, when I was a child, I used to just think that that's what you called a crib when it was a child, right? So anytime I saw a child in a crib, and I'm like, oh, the child's in the manger. But of course, the older I got, the more I, the more I discovered that a manger is actually a feeding trough, right? Now, who in the right mind would take a child, newborn child, and say, there's a feeding trough. Let's put the child in a feeding trough. It doesn't make sense, does it? It wouldn't make any sense to put a child in a feeding trough. Surely there must have been another spot. Surely the mother's arms. Something should have been better than a feeding trough, and yet Jesus was put into a feeding trough. The fourth thing that we have in this story is it says that there was no room at the inn. Now, I wanna show you a picture of what a common peasant dwelling was in those days. 
There are two words for the word inn here. There's a word that means a public inn, a public hotel or motel. And most of us read that in the sense of when there was no room at the inn, there was no room at the hotel for them. But the actually, the word that is used in this, in this uh, description is not actually a hotel. It's actually a spare room, which is why when we read it, um, it says she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for him. It's only in some of the older translations we say the word in, but it's actually a guest room. So let's look at this. Here we have the guest room, and upstairs is where you would have the normal rooms where people would live. So you maybe have the family room up here, and maybe you'd have a guest room up here as well, and many of them, it was common for the families to actually live even, especially in the hot winter time, sorry, the hot summer time, they would actually live on the roof of their abode. In fact, when Jesus talked about that the gospel of Jesus Christ will be shouted from the rooftops, this is what it's talking about. You'd be on a rooftop. I've never gone on my rooftop and shouted at anybody else, but in those days, you would have a flat roof, and that's why you would shout from the rooftops. But down below, you can see right here, is an area that is columned, and that's where you would keep your animals. That's where your animals would be kept safe, especially at night. Now, I know that uh, I actually have... uh, my, my, mother, uh, my mother's side of the family comes from a very, very remote part of Scotland that's very, very far up the, the, the part of Scotland, the, the very far uh, top coast in a place called Tongue. And the reason why it was called Tongue is because when, they con- when the, the, uh, the Vikings conquered it, they thought it looked, the river looked like a shape of the tongue of a, of a, a dragon, so they called it Tunga. And, uh, and so it's called Tongue. And I remember my, my mom and my dad taking me there when I was, when I was a child, and my mom said, uh, took me to where her great aunt used to live um, and, and I remember going there and uh, seeing this tiny little shack, and she said, this is where I used to go visit my great aunt in this little shack. And I said, that's a really small shack. And she said, yep, and there's no running water here, and there's no electricity. The only water that she could get to was a little stream that went down the side of her little shack. It was, it was, a, it was, a, it was I call it a shack. It was actually a stone dwelling, but it was a very small dwelling. She said, and in the winter, they would always bring the sheep into the house so that they wouldn't freeze out in the hills. And I always remember that when I was a child and how odd that was to have animals living with you and yet we all have animals living with us to some degree. We have dogs and we have cats and we have hamsters but there's none of us that I know of that have sheep living in your house. Does anyone have sheep living in your house? Joe, maybe maybe Joe does, no, okay. Um, is there anyone has sheep? No, no one has sheep in their house. What about donkeys? Any cows, any cows? No, we don't mind having cats and dogs as long as they're clean and they're not stinky and smelly. But in those days, they would bring the animals into the actual house. Now, the reason why they'd have to bring the animals into the actual house is because, you know, you didn't want to leave your animals outside where they could be stolen by someone else. You certainly didn't want to leave your animals outside so they could be eaten up by predatory animals. And you certainly wanted to maybe bring your animals into the house in the colder months because you wanted to be able to heat the house because you know the warmth from animals would actually heat the house. And of course, they would let off certain gases that would probably heat the house as well that you weren't expecting to have. But you know that's just the way it was. So it was a very normal thing. So that's the context of how we're reading this story. That's the place that we're reading about when Jesus was born. But here's the question that struck me. The question that struck me when I was reading the story was this. Why did the innkeeper not have a proper place for Jesus? Why did he not have a proper place for Jesus to sleep in? 
I've got two answers for you to suggest to you. The first one is this. He had no room. We already read that. There was no physical room. Why? Why was there no place for Jesus and his family to settle into? Simply because of this. Because there was a census that was going on. Now remember, there's a good chance that Jesus and his family were possibly related to this innkeeper, to this person who owned this house because it was all extended family that was coming into town. So why would the innkeeper have not provided or found a place for Joseph and Mary to actually have put their baby? Well, it's quite simply this, because I believe he had a duty to service to these other guests. The chances were they already had other guests that came into the house, and he had a duty to serve them. This guy is easily painted as a bad guy who didn't care and just sent Jesus and his parents away from the inn. But he had a duty of service to look after his guests. He also had a duty of fairness to his guests. I mean, I don't know what you're like, but maybe, 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 maybe if you have someone staying with you and then someone that is in your family comes over you know, uh, to come and stay with you and you like them a little bit better, maybe you guys, maybe you kick out the other guests that you had and go, I don't like you as much because you're not as funny, you're not as generous, and you're, you're, not, you're not as good looking as this other family over here. Let's bring this good looking family in and we'll give them this room. That that wouldn't be a kind thing to do, would it? It wouldn't be a fair thing to do. So I know this, that when we're looking at a story, the innkeeper had a sense of duty to the service and a sense of duty to the fairness. How would he go about kicking out the people who are already in his house? But the second reason of why the innkeeper did not have a proper place for Jesus is this, is because he made no room. He made no room. When you think about it, there was one person who could have given his bed to this family. Who was it? We know it could have been the innkeeper. The innkeeper could have taken the time and could have given his place to this family. But he didn't give his bed. He didn't, as far as we know, he didn't give his bed of comfort, but he gave them second best. Now, let's not, let's not pretend like it was a horrible person and just threw them away. No, he said, you can sleep downstairs. You can always be with the animals downstairs. You can have a manger as your crib for your baby. But the one thing we know he didn't do was say, why don't you take my room? Here's the question I have. If we could speak to the innkeeper today, what do you think he would say? How do you think he would feel about the fact that he is now the guy that was known for not giving his room to the family? Am I right? Isn't that a strange thought? It's a strange question of if he was here today, do you think he'd be standing here saying, if only I had known, if only I had taken the time to figure out who was this family, the most famous family probably in history, who were they? Who was this Mary? Who was this Joseph? I know I'm related to Joseph. He's a, he's a second removed cousin, but I didn't really know him that well. I certainly didn't know Mary. That was the first time I'd ever met her. I know they were engaged to get married, and of course, they were pregnant before they were actually married, so there was a sense of maybe shame upon them, and maybe I kind of overlooked them and just figured, you know, maybe this is not the family I want to hang out with, but they need a place. I'm a kind man. I'm a good man. I'll give them a place to stay downstairs in my house, but I didn't give them my best. I didn't give them my best. I wanna make a side note about the manger because the manger was a shameful place to put a baby. 
We read it in a very cutesy type of cute manner. You know, we, we read it and we, we see our Christmas cards have got the baby in the manger, and it's such a sweet story, but when you think about it, this wasn't a, a, a thing of pride. This was a shameful place. This was probably the lowest place you could put a child, a newborn child, where the animals have already been eating their food and they've been slobbering into that, that trough. I don't think it would have been perfectly clean and cleaned out. Maybe they took some fresh hay and put it in there in order to try and insulate the child away from that, that dirty manger there. I'm not sure that anyone went in with Mr. Clean and scrubbed it clean, right? I'm pretty sure it was a dirty manger all the same, but to Christians, manger has two meanings to us. The first one is this, is that the manger is a sign of the, the fact that Jesus is the bread of life. Hello? Jesus is the bread of life, and when he came into this world and he came into our lives, he came in as the bread of life for us. We read about that in John chapter six, that he was the bread of life. Listen, even the, the, the name Bethlehem means house of bread. That when God was, sell, was sending his son to us, he wasn't sending a cute little story to us. He was sending someone who would become the bread of life that would give us eternal life for the rest of us. This was a significant change in history. This wasn't just a party that was about to happen. This was a sacrifice that was about to happen where Jesus was going to become the bread of life for us. But the second meaning of the manger for any Christian is this, that Jesus is a scandal to anyone who accepts him. Amen. Jesus is not pretty. Jesus is not someone who is unoffensive. Jesus is not someone who easily makes everything perfect for us. Often what we do is we love to draw to the teachings or the, the scriptures or the memory verses, the promised scriptures that are all about blessing, 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 but Jesus had to become a curse for us in order for us to have blessing. And it's not until we're able to embrace the scandal of the fact that Jesus is not someone who is easily approached. Jesus, we think, only had 12 disciples, actually had 72 disciples. And one day when he was speaking to them, he said, listen guys, there's one thing you have to understand, that unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you can't be a part of me. And 60 of them left, and he was left with 12. And they said, Jesus, this teaching is way too hard for us. We can't accept this. What was he talking about? He was talking about that his, his body and his blood would be given as a sacrifice for us. And even today when we take communion, we take wine as a symbol for his blood and we take bread as a symbol for his body and we take that in memory of the sacrifice that he made in order for us to have eternal life. Listen now, Jesus never told us to celebrate his birthday and I'm not against Christmas. I love Christmas, right? But he did tell us to celebrate his death because he is the bread of life for us. This is what the manger means for anyone who is a Christian. It's both bread of life and it is both scandalous to us because he's always gonna force himself into the worst of places in our lives. That if he can't show himself in the worst of our places in our lives, then how is he gonna show himself in the best of places? You see, the fact is, God always wants to show himself up first in the worst of places in your life always first in the worst places. He's shown himself first in the manger. He's shown himself first as a, as a, as a, in, in, a, in a peasant house. He's shown himself first in a way that is the lowest of the low. When Mary and Joseph probably had nothing, he was there. 
See, what we often wanna do is we want only God to show himself in our blessings. When everything's going great, we want God to show himself in blessings, but does he show himself when everything is falling apart in your life? Does he show himself when you're going through a separation in your marriage, when you're going through difficulty in your marriage? Does he go through, does he he show himself when you're going through mental stress in your mind, when you're going through difficulty, when you're fighting someone in your family? Because let me tell you, if there's one time when families tend to have friction, it's surely Christmas time. Because you all have to get together. Do you know what it's like for me to have to spend Christmas with my in-laws? I'm kidding. I love my in-laws. But many of you go through this. You experience this. When you have to spend Christmas with your in-laws, who am I going to choose to be with? Can I please them all? Will they be happy enough with what I give them? Will they wish that I, will I wish that I wasn't there? Am I gonna spend the whole day with my in-laws or with my, with my family or even my, my, the family that I have? Am I gonna spend all day with them and wish that I, I wasn't there? Am I gonna see it as work? Am I gonna see it as a pain to try and avoid the things that they do and the things that they say? And how am I gonna please them? Is, is, is there any part of that in your life? If there's not, you are blessed. But let me tell you, I believe that there's conflict in all of our lives and that's the places when God wants to manifest himself. It's in the lowest places, it's in the worst place. So I wanna go back to the innkeeper and I wanna ask this question. Why did the innkeeper not make room? Because today, if he was here, I bet you he would say, I wish I had made room. I wish I'd given them my bedroom. I wish I would have been known as the man who gave up what he had to give my best for Christ. Why? The first one I wanna suggest is this, is that he wasn't looking for the signs. You think he had the Messiah in his own flipping house. He had Jesus in his own house. Other people were just visitors. He was the host He was the guy who got to say, I'm the first one who hosted the Messiah in my house. Some of you, you're the first one to host the Messiah in your family. You're the first one. Are you giving them the best place in your family? Are you giving them the best place in your heart and in your mind? Especially when you're interacting with other family or other friends, are you giving them the best place in your words that you speak, in the thoughts that you have for your family, in, 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 what, in, in the, the emotions that you have in your heart? You see, the shepherds got a sign. The wise men got a sign. How much more of a sign can you get than Jesus living in your own house? Hello? How much more of a sign can you get then God incarnate coming into your house and he still didn't see it. Here's the second reason why I think he didn't make room. It's this, because he didn't serve Mary like she was the vessel of God. Now this morning you saw me, you saw a guy sitting at the front door who was dressed as a dirty old ragged homeless guy and I wanted you to think that because I wanted you to see something different from what you know about me. But every person we come across, every person we interact with, we have to have the eyes of God to look for God within that person. 
We have to have the eyes of God to look for the best in every person that we come across. And that's even your mother, your father, your in-laws, your brother, your sister, your neighbors, your, your boss, whoever it is, you've constantly got to look for the best within that person. Because that's the only way you're gonna receive God because he chooses to manifest himself in the worst of places in your life. Hello? He chooses to manifest himself in the conflicts of your family. It's easy to see God in the beauty of providing me wonderful houses and cars and jobs and health and wealth and my bank account is getting fat and all the blessings that are coming to my life. Oh, it's easy to claim that God is here. It's easy to claim that. It's harder to claim when God is here when it seems like it doesn't look like he is. When it looks like there's conflict in our lives. When it looks like there's a challenge in our family, will we ever get our family to live in unity and harmony? Listen, don't think you're the only ones with that type of conflict. I've got it in my own life too. But every time I've got to say, Father, where are you? Jesus, where are you in this? You're hidden somewhere in the middle of this and I want to find that treasure and then once I find that treasure, I wanna give him the best place in my life. I wanna give him the best place in this relationship. I wanna give him the best place in this situation. If we're gonna do something good this Christmas, I want you to remember that you have to look for the Christ. We have to look for where Jesus is in everything that we do. Can you do that with me? This year, let's not just celebrate Christmas. Let's look for Christ in other people. That's what we wanna do. Tomorrow's a day of salvation. Tomorrow's a day of the celebration of the beginning of salvation. Our Messiah and a Savior has come and we get to see and look for that spirit. We get to look for that Messiah and where he is. Let's stand this morning as we finish. Father, we are so grateful that you have sent your son. We're so grateful, Father, that you always have something new for us to see every day. You have something for us to take hold of. There is life within us. There is life within our family. There is life within the people that we have conflict with. There is life within the people who reject us and yet we're still to be the vessels of the Messiah. We are still to be the vessels of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray you would give us the faith of Mary. That when we walk into other people's houses, we know fine well that we are carrying the blessing of Christ within us, the hope of the world. But Lord, more than that, I pray that you would ask us, you would, you, in fact, we ask you to forgive us for overlooking where you're at, for being more like the innkeeper than being like Mary. I pray, Father, you'd help us to be like the innkeeper as he is today, ready, willing, and able to give his best in every situation. Help us to serve the people that we overlook. Help us to serve the people that we fear. Help us to serve the people that we're not ready for, that are, un, that are dirty, that are untidy, that are a mess, that are chaos for us, Father. But Lord, help us to know how to make room for them, how to make a place for them in your kingdom. We ask this in your precious son's gift.